Well, let me welcome back Kevin Luco here to Systematically Wild. And, Kevin, we're going we're gonna to go back here to uh, Iowa Wild Hockey. Um, last week we, we began it here after a, a very nice weekend uh, against the Rockford Ice Hogs where the team came away with a couple of big victories. And they go out on the road this week to Grand Rapids, come away with two victories. As you and I are broadcasting here Monday night, Grand Rapids came to town uh, for a Martin Luther King Day, came away with a victory out of that too. So three and all week, five straight victories for this club. Iowa Wild starting to roll. It was a, yeah, to say the least, it was a very productive week. And, you know, two of those wins were against a goalie that was rehabbing for the Grand Rapids Griffins, too, that I don't know what became of him, if they ever called him back up or not, because he was, I would made him look pretty ordinary, but three wins against Grand Rapids like that, that's um that's a good way to put a team in your rear view mirror. Absolutely. So five two victory on Wednesday night, uh a game where they jump out to a two nothing lead, then give up two goals that ties the score, but Sammy Walker gives them the lead with fifteen seconds left in the second. They had two goals late in the third to come away with that five two victory. And last season, Kevin we talked about this earlier here this year, is that they were the club that was giving up those goals late in periods, late in contests. But this season, it's been a complete reversal on that. Sammy Walker with that big goal late gave them the lead for good. And, and you like to see that because when your team scores those late goals, it really is a deflating thing for the opponent. Uh, yeah, that's one of the things that's been like that in hockey since the beginning of time was the is the late period on the plater, and it's like you said, it's good to see Iowa being on the right side of it for once. Friday night, Jesper Volstead is just fantastic. Twenty-four saves in the contest. A guy who wants to be in the net, wants to get the opportunity to get as many shots on himself as as he can possibly get. Four players for the four different players for the Wild score goals in that contest. Each one of those players also comes away with at least one assist. Uh, it is Nick Patan uh, who gets a goal and two assists in the contest. Steve Fogarty also scores on the power play. Walker adds a shorthanded goal. And Nick Sweeney comes away with his eighth goal of the season. Just a very complete effort from this team. Uh, 24 shots, I think, is, is the number that you're, you're pretty happy with. Defensively, you're giving up. You get great goaltending, scoring across the board. That's just as good a contest as you can ask from this club. If you have the ability, go back. And watch that shorthanded goal that Sammy Walker had because it was a real, real sweet goal. Uh, some of the moves he put on that goalie because he had time to make moves. The goalie was completely faked out by the time he flipped the puck in for the goal. It was just one of the prettier goals you're going to see. Uh, today, uh, Grand Rapids came to Iowa for an early afternoon affair. Zane McIntyre back in goal stopped 37 shots. It's Grand Rapids scoring first, but Nick Swainey gets a power play goal, 5.36 into the third period. Then the team wins in a shootout as they get the only goal in that. Nick Patan with another opportunity to help his club out, and he does there. Zane McIntyre with 37 saves. It took a little while for McIntyre to get into a rhythm after sitting so much at the NHL team, but it looks like he's finally getting back to what we saw last year. That's good to see when you think about that with um, Volstead and McIntyre. That's that's about as good of a one-two combo as I think you're going to find in, in the American Hockey League. 
you know, talking about the game Take today. It. Go ahead. They had an afternoon game for Martin Luther King Day, and that brought out um, 3,700 people. So I know a lot of teams on uh, like the NBA, NHL, and minors are doing that today, but I just doesn't seem like it's uh, that much of a draw. Yeah, the early afternoon kind of thing. Um, and, you know, it was a nice day here in Iowa. I mean, it rained some, but it was, you know, in the 40s, even uh, low 50s. Um, but I was kind of surprised the crowd was that low. It wasn't like they were kept away because of, you know, extremely cold weather or anything. Or maybe because it was a warmer weather, nobody wanted, wanted to be inside, okay? That, that, that could be the case, too, I guess. But well, 36 I games. Think the thing, too, where a lot of people are still working during the day. It's only, like, federal workers and schools that are off, so... I just don't, you know, I was watching some NHL games on Monday afternoon, and I was really surprised at how many people did make it out to the arena. But, I, you know, I can imagine in some areas it's still a pretty pretty tr- tough draw. Yeah, that's a very good point. We are technically at the midpoint here, Kevin. 36 games, the Iowa Wild have played 18, 14, and 4 for this club right now. They are in fourth place. Four points behind the Rockford Icehawks. Four is the number here today. Uh, one point ahead of the Manitoba Moose, who started out the season great, but have really been struggling of late. As you look at this here at the midpoint, I, you know, I think an interesting a discussion that's going to come up is it, it, this club winds up making the playoffs because both Volstead and McIntyre are really on the top of their game. Uh, who's your guy you would think is the number one goalie right now? I just think it's organically going to happen. It'll probably be your hot hand at the time. I know in 2018-19, when it was Kapil Kakinen and um, Andrew Hammond, Kakinen struggled down the final stretch, and Hammond played really good hockey, and it was he knew it was going to be Andrew Hammond every game. So I just think you're going to – we'll find out as we get down that stretch as to who the guy's going to be. This week, Iowa welcomes the Milwaukee Admirals, a, a team that you know is a huge rival for the Wild, 21-13-2. They are in second place in the Central Division. What do you expect out of these games on Friday and Saturday? Well, I expect um, Iowa to put their best game out there because it's a team that they're within reach of in the Central Division. You know, the way the division is shaking up right now, Dallas, I'm sorry, the Texas Stars are – are in their own, own little world right now, but all other spots within the division are attainable. So, and I have to imagine uh, there's been a couple of shaky games for Iowa against Milwaukee that I'm sure they would like to go back and rectify with a couple big wins this weekend. Let's drop down to the Iowa Heartlanders, suffer a 3-1 loss at Indy on Wednesday, then travel to Kansas City on Friday and Saturday, a spot that they have not I mean, they've, they've been competitive in those games but have struggled offensively. They lose 4-2 to two on Friday night, are able to battle to force a, an overtime contest on Saturday before falling 4-3. to three. And uh, another very tough week for this team on the road. Kevin, this team has not won a road contest this season. I mean, that, that's kind of a staggering statistic when you think about it out there. And, and I understand it's still a young club, but, I mean, you got to wonder when you're not able to win any road contests, what that does to a team as they're heading out to go play teams, especially within their own division. 
Well, no doubt it's in their heads at this point, too, then. They just feel like any little break within the game, they, they start feeling a sense of doom. But I would recommend Mark Corver seems to be their big super fan. Um, anyone that goes to the Heartlanders games recognize him as a guy that wears the antlers. and um, well, He enjoys his pops. He'll have a few of those during the game. I would say if he's really the super fan, he needs to plan himself on like a top of the arena or somewhere similar like that in a tent and live there until Iowa wins a road game. Maybe that's what it takes. I like that. And he may need to get on the road too. You know, places like Kansas City and, and Indianapolis aren't necessarily that far away from uh, from Coralville. So he might have to get a little road trip out there to see if he can get some inspiration going on because 0-13-7 on the road and 20 games in, uh, into a season to not have a road victory is, is kind of surprising. I mean, that, that's, that's a pretty big number. Um, e- even for a young club trying to figure things out at this point, only 16 road games left in the season. And you think about, you know, if you want, if you want even five or six of those games at this point, you might actually be right in the a battle for that fourth playoff spot, but when you know you're going to go out on the road and, and, and you're going to drop those contests, it feels like we're never going to get to a point of being a competitive team in the division. I don't know they need to shake up something in the routine or what. And, you know, like we said on here before, too, that being in the division they're in – you know, geographically just doesn't do many favors too because there are no short road trips. There is no border battles. So, you know, every time they go around the road, it's, um, they're, they're logging some miles and, you know, that too just makes it tough to, to just, um, try to get on any sort of a role as a road team. You know, I'm looking at the standings here. And the Wild are 14 points behind Wheeling for fourth place. They got three games in hand. And like you said, if they win like five of those 20 road games, then you're um, four points back with three games in hand. It's looking pretty good. So that's definitely been the the bugaboo of this team. Yeah, you bring that. That's a very good point too. You're talking about this that Kansas City is probably the closest team on a bus, probably five hours away to Independence to get some average, and they're not even in your division. <laughs> you know, it's like and your your division rivals out there are all at least. I mean, I'm figuring Indianapolis or um, has got to be probably a seven or eight hour drive, maybe a little bit more to get out there. Uh, so that that's that's not a short trip for you. Uh, Toledo's probably at least seven or eight hours, if not more. Cincinnati probably be the same thing. Wheeling isn't a very close trip. Fort Wayne wouldn't be a very close trip. So, I mean, you're you're logging some no no short. Hey, we can go out for the day and come back a couple of days later and and just add an hour or two on the on the bus. Like a team like Cincinnati, if they went to Toledo or if they went to to face Indy or. Um, or Wheeling, you know, they're probably gone for it's probably a two-hour ride, two, three-hour ride on the bus for them. I mean, they're getting a big break that, that Iowa's just not getting the benefit of. And 
I mean, you you understand that I, when you put the team in Colville, that ge- geographically you're gonna have some long road trips, but that doesn't make it easy for the team. No, it doesn't. Have, I mean, and they knew it, they knew it coming in too. But and you look at some of the road teams having to go all the way up to um, Newfoundland. So this team's definitely logged some miles. So three to one loss on Wednesday. Uh, they fall behind on a power play goal by Luke Brown just before the end of the first period. Uh, Nolan Orzek ties the score 4.26 into the second period, but Indy scores 18 seconds later to take the lead for good. They come away with a 3-1 victory. Friday night's contest is a 4-2 loss for this club. Um, they have a one-goal lead. I, uh, Kansas City responds with two goals to take a 2-1 advantage. Then Zach White ties the score 5.39 into the second. It looks like they're going to get, you know, at least start working there, making Indy, uh, making Kansas City work for points out there. But a little over a minute later, the Mavericks get a goal from Luke Stevens to take the lead for good. They come away with a 4-2 to victory, adding an empty net goal late in the contest. Then on Saturday, a, a spectacular performance by the club, I thought, um, to force overtime in this game. They take a one nothing lead. As the previous night, Kansas City comes back with two unanswered goals. In uh, Iowa, able to tie the score on a Griff Jessica goal just before the end of the first period. The team split goals in the second, um, with each getting a, a, a goal out of that. Iowa trailing after uh, Pascal LaBerge, LaBerge, excuse me, comes away with a power play goal just before the eight-minute mark. The game is tied by Tommy Peratino at 14:50. That nobody scores in the third. That sends the game to overtime, and with 42 seconds left. Tommy Muck scores a game winner. Uh, a very tough loss for this club. I thought, man, you're 42 seconds away from at least getting a, sh- a shootout opportunity here. But unfortunately, not able to come away with that either. So 0-3 for the club um, as they now have a, a an opportunity to try to do something here, Kevin, with, the, with this week. Coming back home, Toledo for three contests. The Walleye were the team to beat in this division last year as they really got off to a very fast start. But 17-14-5 so far for the season for the Walleye. This is a team that's beatable, I think, especially when you're coming home. And, you know, you do the math, it's there's a huge 16-point gap, but you manage to defend your home ice, run the table on them, then that's... that's um. You get within 10 points of them, and you still have three games in hand. But it's a matter of going out and getting the job done, though, and that's, you know, the club has been a real big question mark. A, a, res, a respectable 7-4-2 and two at home, Kevin. Uh, you know, I mean, that that's that – they're you know, they got off to a little bit of a tough start this season here at home, but have played very well at down here in, in Extreme Arena. And I, and I think you got to feel pretty good. Like, nobody's coming in and, and thinking they're skating away with victories over the Heartlanders. This, this is a team that can play well on their own home ice. It is, but, you know, like we said, it's the, it's the record on the road that's been the downfall of this team. Well, let's jump up to the big club, Kevin. Uh, the Minnesota Wild, uh, with an interesting week out there, as they begin a, a, a lot of road contests coming up here. So four to three loss in a shootout in Madison Square Garden on Tuesday. A three to one loss, a three to one victory, excuse me, over the Islanders 
on Thursday, uh, then come home and have a 2-1 to one victory over Arizona. So a nice 2-0-1 week for the club. And, and uh, you know, we talked about the importance of, of those long home stands that they had, but they're handling business out on the road. And, and, you know, with a lot of these games coming on the road pretty soon, you got to feel good about where the Wild are at right now. You do, but, uh, you know, the upcoming road trip's going to be a real bear. They're getting into a lot of road games against teams that are playoff-bound, so they're going to have to be on top of their game to come out with points. But, you know, you backtracked last week, and the general consensus was that they did not play a very good game at Madison Square Garden, and they were lucky to come out with a point on that one. But then two nights later, they got it together, played a solid game, and for for a while you felt like they weren't going to get rewarded, but they finally did. Pulled away in the third period for a nice win against the Islanders. And came back home, and just, you know, other than a power play goal and another goal right after the power play ended, it just just seemed like the Wild and played pretty evenly with the Coyotes, and, well, that's not a really good thing this year with the Coyotes being one of the worst teams in the NHL. In the game at Madison Square Garden, Marc-Andre Fleury, 43 shots he faced in that contest, which I think is a little ridiculous for a team that has played very well defensively. But I thought nice rebound as the team went along during the week there. Gave up one goal against the Islanders, one goal against Arizona. You probably expect more against a team like the Coyotes, as you mentioned, who have really been down uh, and struggling this season. But defensively, I I thought that they tightened up whatever they were missing on Tuesday and came away with a better performance as the week went along. I guess maybe we shouldn't be so hard on them about Saturday night because the Coyotes went to Winnipeg on Sunday night and gave the Jets all they could handle before finally falling in the second half of a back-to-back set to the Jets. So maybe the Coyotes are playing a little better than we want to give them credit for. Yeah, I think you just kind of look statistically at where they're at and think, man, this team is just terrible. But um, what? Uh, let's also consider from them, I, they were out on the road for over a month before getting back to their own home ice there. And, I, you know, I'd, I'd be a little worn down of after four and a half weeks of, not playing in my own home ice for a while. They're not seeing my bed in, in, a, in a month. So uh, I'm sure those statistics were a bit elevated with that long stretch of road contests. The contest that you were looking at, that, that Ranger game, they get a 2 nothing lead in that contest and come give up two goals to the, the Rangers and take a lead on a Matt Zuccarella goal early in the third, but then give up a late goal in that contest. Uh, do you see that as just New York was kind of getting their legs underneath them, or do you look at that and think Minnesota just could not put the Rangers away? I'd say a little bit of both, and we looked at it. Um, I know a couple of Minnesota goals, um, Igor Shosturkin would have liked to have had those back, but it did give Minnesota a lead. But, you know, perhaps like on the game-tying goal, it just seemed like the Rangers were just in the – Minnesota end forever. You just knew at some point either a penalty was going to be called or they were going to get the tying goal and, well, end up being the tying goal, and that's what got them overtime, obviously. And then the Rangers won it in OT. On Thursday, just a fantastic performance to start out the contest by Ilya Sor- Sorokin. Is that the way that's said? Sorokin. 
Sorokin. Okay, thank you for correcting me there. And it looks like the Islanders are just going to come away with a nice shutout victory. But that Frederick Goudreau shorthanded goal at at 10:55 really turned that contest around. Crazy thing with that goal too. We thought Sorokin just made like this highlight reel save on it. But then they went back and looked at it, and by inches, the puck was actually in the – he caught the puck in the net, and that gave uh, Minnesota a 1-1 tie. Sam Steele scores a little less than two minutes later to give uh, Minnesota the lead, and Kaprizov finishes it out with his 25th goal of the season at 18:48 to give them a 3-1 victory. Gustafson, fantastic in the contest, Kevin. Didn't get challenged a lot, only 20 shots on it, but he handled business in between the pipes for the team. Uh, General Manager Bill Guerin recently gave sort of a state of the team address, and and he said, like, one of the biggest surprises of the season has been Philip Gustafson and the way that he has come in and played. And I know a lot of us had doubts um, Recently, as mid-November, as to what kind of goal he's going to be, but he's come in and given them a chance to win every game he's played and just put up some phenomenal numbers. Now we're at 42 games now for the Minnesota Wild, 24, 14, and four, uh, almost a little tiny bit over the the halfway point for the season. Um, third place in the division. What do you see for this team moving forward? As you mentioned, uh, more road contests this week as they go to Washington, Carolina, and Florida. None of those places are easy to win at. But how are you feeling about this club at the halfway point for them? I think with this team, if they play within their system, and they don't try to go out and get into these five, four, six, five games against teams that have a lot more firepower, I think they're going to do very well. But it just seems like sometimes this team forgets its identity and and does start making defensive mistakes and tries to do too much on offense that just takes away from their identity. And so I think the focus is stay within your identity and play your game and Dictate the game. Don't let the opponent um, dictate how the game's going to go. But I do think this week is going to be very important. I think you you hope they can go on the road and at least get half the possible points. Well, Florida has not been the same team this season that we saw last. Uh, They've not been as good, uh, especially offensively, like they were last year. Carolina, very good goaltending. You're, you're expecting them to, to tighten and clamp down and make it difficult for Minnesota to move the puck. But, you know, Minnesota can play that same type of game. So I think there's, you know, there might be a, a contest made for them. The Washington game looks like the, the bit of a wild card for me out this week, Kevin, because I, I really don't know what Minnesota can necessarily expect out of the Capitals and, and what they do to win a game like that. Washington has underachieved the – bit this year, so I can see if Minnesota can shut down the likes of Ovechkin and others that maybe they can go into Washington and get a win out of there because uh, it seems like the Capitals goalie goalies have been a bit suspect this year. Well, it should be an exciting week for the team. Do you see them coming away with a 1-1-1 a one, one one week or a um, a three or a three or four point week. Does that, is that is that what your expectation you would see this for this club? I think so. I think so. As long as they 
they have to keep repeating myself, but as long as they stay within their system and play a tight defense and don't make mistakes in their own end, capitalize on the offensive zone when you can, that they can at least get three three out of the six points and maybe even um, get a second win at yeah, during one of those games. do have to mention, too, uh, Matt Boldy on Monday morning, it was announced that he did sign a seven-year, $49 million contract to stay with Minnesota. So a uh, big signing as Minnesota locks up one of their offensive centerpieces. Yeah, a guy they're expecting big things from uh, out of, just starting out his professional career pretty much here, too. So um, wanting to make sure they're keeping around. That, that seems like a lot of money to give, though, for a guy with uh, not a lot of NHL time under his belt. You know, they must have a lot of confidence that they're just scratching the surface of his talent. I guess you want to give it to him now instead of um, waiting for him to explode offensively where the price tag would jump up substantially. Absolutely. That might be the smart move to take that now, Uh, as you're saying, to keep, keep the price where you can afford to pay it for sure. Well, Kevin, we are pretty much at the halfway points for all three teams out there. And, um, the ECHL All-Star Game was tonight. The Destroyers uh, were, were the winners of that as they kind of go with this round-robin tournament thing here. Um, I, 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 you got to feel like the, the Iowa Wild are, are looking like they're finally putting things together. This looks like a playoff team. Minnesota Wild, we're going to find out if they're going to be a playoff team, I think, with all these road contests coming up here. The Iowa Heartlanders have some work to do, but uh, the state of the franchise halfway through the season, how – what, what are you thinking about the direction that Minnesota and the organization is going? I think as a whole, you have to feel pretty good about it. Um, you know, the struggles with the Heartlanders, it just doesn't seem like this wild organization is putting a lot of um, a lot of its commodities into its ECHL team, and we're seeing the results of that this year. But, you know, it was a slow start for Iowa, but I believe that we're – we're seeing the real Iowa Wild team now. Seeing guys that they are expecting to be their leaders um, step up and do exactly that with Fogarty and Patan and others. So and then with Minnesota, I mean, we knew it was going to be a drop-off from last year. You don't lose a guy like Kevin Fiala and expect to have the same team. And, you know, we're finding out that maybe guys like Marcus Foligno and George and that probably had career seasons last year, same with Matt Hartman, where they're not going to replicate those numbers, but as long as they can replicate the standings numbers, I think that's going to be the key thing for Minnesota. If the Minnesota Wild are going to lock in that playoff spot and ensure that they're a team that's going to be able to compete for a Stanley Cup, what, what, what's a what's a transaction? What's a move this club needs to make? Do you think? I think you try to find another piece up front to make your offense a bit more potent. I think um, we're seeing a guy like Freddie Gaudreau. I mean, he's on the pace of twenty goals this year. He's never reached that before. He's got Matt Boldy on that line. I'd like to see Ryan Harvin's been doing a decent job, and maybe as he gets into the groove, he can fill that spot. But yeah, I'd like to see you know, more of a more of a proven offensive threat on that line, and I just think that would be a huge um, thing for this club. 
granted now you're kind of messing with the line chemistry um, going forward where you might you could potentially have to put a guy like Matt Hartman on the fourth line and then one of your pluggers would have to go in the press box. But, you know, I just think, you know, you, you ask me how you get to the next level, and I just think that's what Minnesota would have to do. Well, to close out the show here, Kevin, we're at the midway point for the Minnesota Wild. Is there a, either a, 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 a memory or story that stands out for you, either about a big a, a game out on the East Coast with the club out there this week, or that something that happened where the club really seemed to catch fire at the midway point and rolled forward from that, that time on? I think, uh, you know, going back in the annals of history, you have to think of the low point, I believe it was, um, I want to say the 14-15 or the... Yeah, I think it was the 14-15 season where goaltending was a huge problem for this Minnesota team. And they went out to Pittsburgh with Nicholas Backstrom and goal and just got annihilated by the Penguins. And the next day, a move that went under a lot of the team's radars, Minnesota acquired Devin Dubnik from Phoenix. Dubnik had been a decent goaltender for Edmonton, had, was putting up a good year with the Coyotes with um, Sean Burke providing guidance for him. And as soon as Minnesota acquired Dubnik, um, Dubnik and the team just went on fire and they got him into the playoffs. So, you know, to answer your question, I guess that's the that's one thing I can remember about them going out east and just having a big move made, and it just set them up for the rest of the year because that first game with Dubnik playing in Buffalo, the Wild went out and won 7 nothing, and it just seemed like it set the, the course for the team for the rest of the year to finish strong. That's fantastic. Kevin Luco, thanks for joining us this week. My pleasure, Rob.